Everybody, this is Sean Harwell. You're listening to the Never Heard of It podcast. This is a show where we talk about the movies that have fallen through our cracks. Hopefully, some of yours as well. I'm joined again today by co-host Brian Crane, also co-host of A Little Snack. Brian, thanks for joining us again today. For Craig, how are you? I'm doing great. Super happy to be here. And um, in case I haven't said it before, I want to assure everyone that I am not a Panjinlian. Uh, I'm looking at a legal document right here that says that you are. <laughs> okay, well, I'm going cl- to clear. No, I'm going to clear my name. It's going to happen. I remain unconvinced. Uh, obviously, we're talking about the movie that nobody has any idea about yet. <laughs> no, but yeah. uh, in jokes, yeah. If you listen to the tee up, you know we're talking. I am not Madame Bovary from 2016. I'm excited to get into it. There's some interesting stuff to discuss with this one. I believe. Hopefully, you checked out that tee up. Yes. And hey. Go to neverheardpodcast.com. We've got all the episodes there. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Reviews are nice, but not necessary. And uh, we're toying with video a little bit. We've got one up on our site, and also you can find it on YouTube as well. So check that out at some point, and maybe we'll throw that up on Facebook. Intriguing. Isn't it? I was intrigued. And if I haven't said this specifically this month, and I'm not sure either of us have, Mm. if you're by chance listening to this in China... Uh, or have spent any length of time in China and would like to chime in on anything related to these movies and our mispronunciations and misconceptions and all the wrong assumptions that we have made and will make today. Oh, completely. Yeah, I would love to hear that. Please chime in. And expletives are welcome as well. So Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Brian. Yes. I need to ask you if you've seen anything else. So that's what I'm doing. Have you seen anything else since the last time we talked? Uh, I'm sad to report that uh, I have not been as uh, enthusiastic with my film and and significant television watching. I watched the first two episodes of Stranger Things Season 3. I haven't dived into that yet. It seems like the the response was pretty good, from the fans at least. Yeah, I would say Season 1 is strong and definitely (laughs) uh, a, a hard recommend. Uh, season see two. where you're going with this <laughs> <laughs> I know I kind of telegraphed it a little bit yeah. uh, season two yeah uh, and then season three I'm hoping will be maybe a return to form but I, I, I think they're smartly perhaps going in some different directions and adhering to some tropes because they you know they, they want to stay true to the to the show but I, I, I feel like the magic is starting to wear off but I'm not close to it I'm gonna watch the rest of season three and hopefully they'll they'll bring me back on board back into the fold but how about you how, what have you watched I have watched three films that I will mention today and the first is Thunderbolt and Lightfoot from 1974 you got Clint Eastwood and Jeff Bridges have you ever seen this Brian I have not seen it I know it's black and white right it is not, so you don't know oh. what you're talking about. That's cool. <laughs> I, what I, I don't know which one I'm thinking of. I must be thinking of a Nick Nolte movie. That's that's okay. Maybe. Yeah, no. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, there's the last picture show that Jeff Bridges did, which was in black and white, and, and right around this period. So maybe that's what you had in mind. Maybe that's what I had in mind. I, I'll think of it. I'll think of it. Yeah, this is the debut film from Michael Cimino, if I'm not mistaken, and it's sort of like a, a, a buddy comedy about two crooks essentially who kind of randomly run into one another it's very Mm. loosey-goosey i mean especially for like an eastwood movie i don't know i've never well didn't he do a buddy comedy movie with a with a monkey like what time i I think he i think that was a fairly large franchise in the 70s was (laughs) the the clint eastwood and monkey pal have a movie any which way but loose maybe yeah i think that's right that's one of them but uh my buddy comedy clint eastwood movies are limited and that one was pretty damn good i I recommend that one it's on netflix right now oh very cool I rewatched Predator because I bought it when it was on sale on iTunes and 4K HDR. How was that? Looks pretty phenomenal. I mean, oh, it, wow. it definitely it still looks like film, you know, so which is yeah. nice because they didn't like completely sheen it up. And uh, mm-hmm. there's a lot of dark parts of that movie, just not content-wise, although you could make that argument, but just literally <laughs> dark. <laughs> right. And uh, so yeah, it was interesting to see in that format. I did have an, an observation related to this show, and specifically one you've guessed it on, Crane. Yeah. In that, you know, the setup for this movie is not entirely different from The Keep, Michael oh, Mann's movie, yeah. where you got a group of soldiers going into a place and there's a supernatural thing killing them off. That's a killing bit. the men one by one, yeah. Yeah. And I would love to see like a re edited version of The Keep 
to be done as if it were Predator. Uh, <laughs> that would be awesome. Now, that's interesting. What if? What if Michael Mann had made something like that? What would his yeah. career look like right now? Well, you know, would he have been like the John McTiernan of, of the 80s? Or would he have stayed true to his kind of, you know, artistic roots, you know? I wonder. John McTiernan had some time in the slammer. I don't think he's done anything recently at all, so... Yeah. Uh, Mike, Michael Mann's definitely sitting in the catbird seat right now. <laughs> to be clear, you mean the like director's jail, not the real slammer, right? Oh no, the real slammer. He did. He did. John McTiernan went to jail. I didn't know this. John, yeah, he? John McTiernan went to <laughs> jail. There was this whole like bizarre okay. oh, detective. I know. I don't want to go too far afield, but the, look it up. It's a crazy story, and he did. He did a little time. How did I not know that? I'm really <laughs> sadly embarrassed, but I don't know. I guess people listening to the show will be like, yeah, of course he doesn't know. No, I love that. that. It was like, wait, you mean director jail? It was like, yeah, for most directors, that's what it is. But no, the he, slammer, got, yeah. he got the real one. <laughs> oh, well. Lastly, I finally, I mean, it's only been a year, but I did finally watch uh, Halloween from our fellow alum, David Gordon Green and oh, McBride wow. and Jeff Fradley and those guys. Yeah. How was that? Well, if I'm not mistaken, you watched like a scene with me. When, yeah, when I, I watched the first like a couple scenes yeah. with you and I was just like, this is cool. Yeah. And I definitely wanted to watch more. But um, so how, how did it how did it all come out? I think it's it's a really good Halloween movie. And also, I'm really not a Halloween fan, as it turns out. Because <laughs> really? I, I yeah, you know, I watched the original not too long ago also. And I don't know, man, like it's just that setup of. This voiceless, faceless, essentially killer, mm-hmm. right? Just killing people. And mm-hmm. but there's there's some really nice moments in this movie. There's some good kills in this movie, too, which you know, if I'm watching a slasher movie, yeah. that's kind of all I really ask for. But yeah. at the end of the day, I do find my, I found myself like thinking, like, what are we like nine, ten movies deep into Halloween movies <laughs> yeah. at this point? They just yeah. they also they just announced two more sequels coming. I know. I think being filmed at the same time, possibly. And I don't want to spoil anything because like literally like how many times have you questioned how can they possibly make another sequel to Halloween, right? Right. I asked that question at the end of this movie and I think anybody watching it will too. So (laughs) I'm curious to see what, uh, what those guys do with it. Yes. Okay, let's switch gears then and talk about the movie that is going to round out the month for us in our journey to the distant lands of ancient China, ancient 2016. So <laughs> yes. I am not Madame Bovary. I'm going to give the synopsis here. From IMDb, they say, after being swindled by her ex-husband, a woman takes on the Chinese legal system. Yeah, that kind of encapsulates it a little bit. Yeah. Directed by Feng Shangao. Zhao Gang, excuse me. Lu Jin Yu was a writer. Stars Fan Bingbing, Dong Sheng Pong, mm-hmm. Fan Wei, and a host of others who <laughs> play some administrators or uh, government officials. So, Brian. Yes. We talked about it. We teed it up. Yeah, we've seen we it. We discussed briefly beforehand. You warned me that it's it's a bit of a slow ride. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I didn't try to extrapolate more than that from your text messages. No. So I am curious to know what did you think of I am not Madame Bovary? And do you still think you yourself are not a Madame Bovary? I think that in the end I probably am a Madame Bovary or a oh, pension. Really? Okay. Yeah, I think okay. I'll just cop to it. That's just how it is. All right. Good call. The film itself, I found to be fascinating. I found it to be beautiful to look at in in most scenes. The pacing was a little off. I, I at a certain point, I just turned to Peggy. And I was just like, "We're gonna have to just pause it here. I think we're probably almost done." And it's like, "Nope, you're only an hour in." <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, what, yeah. we're only an hour in? <laughs> what? So I, I've, I, it's been a long time since I've experienced a, a, a pacing issue quite so pronounced where it totally fooled me into how much uh, screen time I'd actually experienced. <laughs> yeah. It, it graded on me at times in terms of the central plight. And just to touch briefly on what the, the central premise is, what, what the, there's, a, there's a woman, she's been wronged. She's gotten a a divorce, but it's not a real divorce in her eyes. Correct. So she wants to negate the divorce 
get married again, and then get a real divorce. So Correct. if if you could follow me through all that, anybody this lady talks to is going to be like, ha ha, get out of here. What are you, crazy? But <laughs> apparently over there, it's like, no, everyone has to have their hearing. And she takes this laughable on its face case all the way up through the ranks of Chinese bureaucracy. And you're just like, why, why are they giving this the time of day? So mm-hmm. from a purely plot perspective, it was just like, it was kind of a hard pill to swallow. But in in amidst and around and among that was, I thought, really pretty cinematography. I love the picture of, of sort of rural China. And the performances, I thought, were, were pretty interesting. It was interesting to see Bing Bing Fan kind of this glamorous Chinese mega movie star really stripped down mm-hmm. to, to, you know, essentially like an, a rural peasant woman. And um, it really, I was like, when is, when is Bing Bing Fan going to show up? Because this surely can't be her. Um, <laughs> but, but sure enough, that's, that's her. And I, I, I think she kind of did kind of a Charlie's Theron in monster turn where it's just like, you know, yeah. look how, how much I've stripped down my, my beauty for the sake of this performance. And I think people probably even over there appreciate that sort of thing. Overall, I'm glad I watched it, but I have no plans to, to revisit and spend those two and a, and a half hours again, I'm afraid. Uh-huh. How, how about you? What were your, what were your thoughts? Overall, I kind of liked it. And yeah. I think maybe your warning kind of just, you know, set the flags up. So I was a little apprehensive. Yeah. And and I have to say, like, I ended up actually watching this in the middle of the day on my iPad with a screen basically right in my face using headphones. So oh, okay. it may be a little easier to capture my attention with something that is paced like this. Yeah. And, and even still, I had moments where my attention drifted for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't think that is to be unexpected a little bit. I mean, mm-hmm. in some ways, my most interesting kind of thought on this movie was, holy cow, it, it could not be any more different than Animal World. The other <laughs> yeah. I mean, just yeah. so true. Very true. Almost as if they're not from the same country. I mean, yeah, yeah, it's (laughs) it is just night and day bonkers different. Mm -hmm. And this would absolutely be, you know, there was the comparison to Jennifer Lawrence and Steven Spielberg talking about director Mm -hmm. uh, Xiao Gang Feng and Bing Bing Fan. Mm -hmm. Even if they had made this movie the way it is, that's still art house. If that, you know, oh, completely. It, it might be just straight to streaming or HBO and not to knock anything. I mean, obviously, like the, the landscape has changed here sure. as far as like art house films go. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so it was really kind of interesting to look at them side by side, I guess, and just see, OK, this is a completely different side of their cinema. Yeah. So much so that, as we mentioned, the tee up. More than half the movie is just done in a circle. Like all you yeah. see is a circle, and the rest of it is blacked out. Is this very that know, was shocking to me, honestly? When when I was like, oh wait, this is because I think you'd mentioned that in the tee up, and I'm like, yeah, I didn't know what you're talking about. But when I saw it, I'm like, oh, this is going to be on for a long time, and I felt claustrophobic. You know, mm-hmm. it takes some getting used to. Yeah, absolutely. But the story. Yeah, I'm kind of with you. I found it kind of fascinating. And and to me, it felt like, you know, as opposed to Animal World, this, even though it's not something I can understand from any sort of legal sense or absolutely what you're saying, like, why would any authority be threatened by this woman necessarily? Right. And we'll get into that. And we have to. Yeah. But but just to, to your comparison about Animal World, I'll just say that one thing is that Animal World was very focused, like China looking outward, like to the Western yeah. audience saying, you know, mm-hmm. look what we can do. Look at me. And this movie felt very inward focused. And like this is a Chinese movie for Chinese people and for the Chinese nation and that sort of thing. It, it, it had a lot of that. So kind of outward for Animal World and then very inward for Madame Bovary. That's a really great way of putting it. Yeah. To me, it's like, well, I... I would imagine the real China looks a little more like this movie yes. than that movie necessarily. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and I found that interesting. You know, it's just, I don't know. I haven't seen rural China. I haven't seen a Chinese courthouse that's the size of your kitchen. Oh, completely. I loved all that stuff. Yeah. 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 So there's like all these great details. I thought there was a pretty good reveal at the end about why this whole thing, like what this has meant to this woman. 
Right. And I'm with you in the, the performances of that were really solid. Yeah. But the pace is going to be a hurdle for people. Mm-hmm. And that setup is absolutely going to be a hurdle for Western audiences. Right. And, and, I, and I felt like that that reveal, and we can talk about that also, I felt that was information that may not have been justified to withhold all the way to the end. I think it's the difference between a crazy lady. And a very sympathetic one. And right? a very sympathetic, truly, you know, like mm-hmm. a heartbroken lady. And that would have changed the whole tenor of it. But also it, it would have for me it would have made the reaction of chinese you know officialdom which was very solicitous and you know very concerned about her thoughts on things would have made that make more sense mm-hmm. i have a theory about the about why they were all so solicitous but we can talk about that later too but uh, okay it's just interesting that they kept that to the end and made it a kind of a reveal it felt uh, it felt a little off to me yeah, my other sort of big observation, and I, this maybe will help other like movie nerds thinking about it. I'm kind of curious what you think. There were several times, and specifically with the narration of the movie, and even the pacing of it, mm-hmm. where I thought of Barry Lyndon, the Kubrick film. Oh. There's something about that sort of like even kill narration where mm-hmm. it literally does sound like you're just reading from the pages of a novel Right. That I mean, this movie, it is kind of narrated as if it is a story. And in some ways, like, I mean, you could make the argument that maybe this would be a better novel than a, a film. <laughs> I don't know. Like maybe right. that's out there. But that's a good comparison with Barry Lyndon. Yeah, I, yes. I see that now. And even the circled framing device, which we know from the tee up and from the opening of the film, is done to mimic these sort of like ancient uh, Chinese paintings. Yeah. It made me think about how, like in that movie, there's so many just frames and, and shots that clearly like are intended to kind of resemble paintings from that era. So true. Let's just talk about that, that framing device sure. now. You know, yeah. it opens with seeing some paintings and we have narration and then it transitions to live action footage. And I'm like, oh yeah, this, I, I knew about this. I saw the trailer. I was yeah. really, it, really, really interested in it. And I was like, I can't decide if I like this because <laughs> yeah. you yeah. really are not using much of your TV, you know, yeah. and you're it's like not, a third of the screen is all you're looking at. Yeah. And you're not getting much of a frame. You're getting a very centralized look at the world. You know, everything mm-hmm. is somewhat positioned in the center of this very small circle there were a few moments, one in particular that I thought was just beautiful was there's an arching bridge that mm-hmm. a character is kind of walking up and there's it's over like this very still water on his lake or what. That to me is like, okay, there's my painting, right? You know, And oh, then there was yeah. one where it's like the mountains and you can see the buildings, like the apartment buildings in this rural town. And again, yeah. rural is like still very populated. Like, yeah. There's my painting again. Yeah. And then other times I'm like, yeah, I don't feel it so much because you still have just this everyday business to encapsulate, to tell the story. Right. And you're limited to this people, you know? Yeah. I didn't keep track of how many moving shots there were. I, I think we didn't really see them until it started to move to Beijing, but the yeah. camera's always locked down mm-hmm. for these shots. And sometimes these shots will go on for a very long time. Yeah. And I wonder if that kind of like subconsciously affected the pacing where, you know, there's not really much score or any score to, to think of, you know, the, the sort of things filmmakers do to to keep a movie moving. Mm-hmm. The director doesn't do any of those things here. So so maybe it kind of contributes to that very almost plodding painterly kind of, of feel to it, which as slow as it was, it's like I'm thinking back at like I don't I don't mind it. I kind of liked letting some of these scenes really kind of play out in real time. I like, I felt, I felt very much an observer in that. And, and I did like that aspect, but it, it definitely yeah. slows, slows that movie down. I agree. And like that device, I kind of just want to be blown away by like every single shot selection. Right. Yeah. You know, it's oh, just yeah. like, I mean, I felt like you could warrant that if you're just in constant amazement of how insane this looks. And it's not quite there for me. No, but but it was interesting in a way in how how it communicated information about location because yes, when it's it's in a circle the whole time until she goes to Beijing and then it becomes a kind of I think Peggy called it a kind of an Instagram 
kind of look where it's like yeah. up, up and down, not quite a square, maybe a little bit kind of a vertical rectangle slightly. Right. It's definitely not like the silent era square that, no. that we've seen from Hollywood. It's, just, it's slightly different than that. Yeah. Right. And so sometimes when they switch back and forth, you're like, oh, there was one time where I thought we were in some kind of way we were in Beijing and I saw, no, wait, no, it's the circle. So we're still in the countryside or we're in other town. Um, so I thought that was kind of an interesting shorthand. I think it was just kind of a, an added bonus to doing that. I, I, I don't think that was the main reason. I think it was just a kind of a, a byproduct. Right. But I thought that was that was an interesting, interesting thing. Well, the original transition from circle to square, I thought was fantastic because, yeah. you know, she has taken a, a bus to go from country to city and she goes through a tunnel. And so yeah. you're looking out the tunnel and that is a circle. You know, you've right. got that oval shape and then it's like, oh, they come out of it. You're into the square. And right. I, that was, it was such a cool shot, I thought. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I really like that transition. I was surprised I caught it because it was so, so subtly done, you know. Yeah, and then at the very end of the film, where we find out that she has moved to Beijing, mm-hmm. uh, and it's, it's some time later, you finally get like a widescreen cinemascope aspect ratio. Oh, yeah. I, we'll talk about maybe what that implies later, but yeah. I don't know. So on the whole, what do you think of that choice? Is it just a curiosity, or is it something that really advanced the movie? You know what? I'm going to go ahead and say that it advanced the movie and that it was the right call. I think like the the evocation of kind of old Chinese paintings that are kind of in that format. I think the director did a good job of showing and, and like framing these these shots. I thought most of them were framed really beautifully for the circle. Like re- it really worked. Mm-hmm. And it's funny when I think back about it. I don't I, I don't see the circle. All the oh, scenes play out in in a in a big screen. You know they huh. they were all cinemascope. But but watching the movie once once you're over that initial like oh man I I remember watching the movie and it was like a, a little a little boat was coming up to shore and I'm like oh this circle is not going away this is how we're watching this movie and I I, I got a little like anxious <laughs> but yeah. once you're over that initial hump it's like oh okay and you just forget about it it's just it's just uh, totally. like oh yeah. you're watching in a circle. <laughs> And it kind of makes those transitions. It gives a fairly baseline, not very exciting plot. It gives it kind of a little charges of energy when it changes. And especially at the end when it changes to widescreen and it uses up the entire screen, you're like, whoa, you know, something something's about to happen. You you know, you kind of perk up. I was going to say, I, I think, yeah, in some ways it almost justifies the movie existing a little bit, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. because yeah. it is like, okay, like if you're taking this very small story, which is interesting and we'll get to that, but um, you're using this device, which is so unfamiliar. And also honestly, like I'm, I'm glad it's not just pure social realism, handheld mm. camera. Like, oh, okay. Yeah. Like, I mean, that just would not have been anywhere near as interesting to look at as I think the overall effect of this and I do think it's thematically, I'm sure we can make some ties there to the ancient and the new. And there's mm-hmm. definitely some of that trying to happen in the bureaucracy of this government. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Well, let's talk about that setup. We first meet this woman. She's outside in the rain and she goes to the house of, he's a judge. He's a local judge, right? Yeah. She says that they're related and she's there because she wants to get a divorce. Why? There's someone else. And if you can't help me, I'll kill the bastard when I get home tonight. (laughs) Right. I'm like, yeah, okay. And that, honestly, that was the vibe I got from the trailer. I really thought before we did the tee up, this was going to be about a woman who's having an affair and wants to kill her husband. Oh, okay. And yeah, that's a part of it, but not really. Right. Because yeah, in no short time, we find out she's already divorced. Mm -hmm. What? And so under Chinese law, she has a divorce license, which this justice is saying, well, if you've got the paper, this divorce is real. So what exactly are you asking? Mm -hmm. She says, no, the divorce was fake. 
it wasn't intended to be real, but she wants to have a real divorce so that she can marry the guy again and then divorce him once more. And I'm just like, why is this this complicated? What this <laughs> right. doesn't make any sense to me. Right. And that's where I'm telling you, like I was walking around just like pacing almost, thinking like, what is she saying exactly? Yeah. So I'm assuming you were kind of in the dark there as well. Yes, I was. I was like, I, I, I don't get this. Okay. And so he is saying, well, if you've already got a divorce, why do you want this? Aren't you just belly aching? Is a line. And she mm-hmm. says, that's what everyone says, but I don't think so. Yeah. Okay, fast forward a little bit. We find out that this whole thing has something to do with an apartment that they wanted, her and her husband, whose name is spelled Q-I-N. I, think, I feel like they were saying Chin. Yeah, I think so. Okay, yeah. okay so let's say Chin. Yeah. That was given from a f- like a tea factory, I think, to single workers there, right? Right, that's right. Mm-hmm. And she's saying they decided that they would get a divorce as a scam. Mm-hmm. It would be fake. They would get this extra apartment, and mm-hmm. there was some notion of moving other family members either into it or into a house or something. There was a brief explanation, and I, I didn't follow all of it. But. And it doesn't really matter because that, that turns out to be a lie anyway. Right. But what she didn't expect was that her husband would fall in love with someone living in that apartment building and that he would marry her mm-hmm. instead of remarrying his now ex-wife. That's interesting, right? Yeah, all her hurt comes from a sense of betrayal where it's like, you know, you think you're happily married and you're like, hey, let's do this thing. It'll benefit both of us. And he's like, oh, yeah, sure. And then, boom, he's out, you're done, and your whole world's upside down. And I thought, oh, that's pretty cool. Like, if this dude <laughs> initiated this thing where he convinced his wife to get divorced so yeah. that uh, they could get this free apartment, and yeah. then he's like, uh, yeah, no, I'm in love with somebody. Like, <laughs> yeah. Damn, that is cold. Okay, we're getting yeah. into some dark darkness here, and exactly. there's been little shades of comedy spiced very conservatively throughout, but I'm yes. like, okay, yeah, this is the darkness I was looking for. <laughs> right. Which I still feel like would, that would be a pretty damn interesting movie, right? <laughs> Yeah. If a guy had done that, right? Yeah, exactly. But yeah, I I guess obviously in the end we know that 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 wasn't quite the case. So Twas not to be, right. No. She does get a court case, like a court hearing in this tiny court that we were talking about a little bit. And I loved watching that. She's literally the only one there speaking for herself. Mm -hmm. I think her ex-husband has a lawyer, although we don't see him. Instead, I think we see another sort of clerk of the county who granted them this divorce license and he's just like no i thought they were really getting divorced otherwise i wouldn't <laughs> yeah. have done this thing and yeah, she's like you're real. a liar yeah <laughs> um thought that was great yeah and then crane i think the big shift came for me with this entire movie we are suddenly seated at the table of the chief justice a chief justice who's retiring mm-hmm. he's there with other government workers i don't know if yeah. they were all judges or what Right. But they're there celebrating his anniversary. 50th. I think it was 50. Okay. It's a pretty long scene. It is. They're drinking. They're talking about how they, one of them doesn't normally drink at work, but they made an exception to this. There's mm-hmm. a great little bit about him asking, well, what's your secret to staying married so long? And he says, tolerance. Mm-hmm. And then his wife says, she like slams the table and she's like, no tolerate until it hurts (laughs) right yeah yeah yeah. i like that yeah Yeah. it's a long scene they go outside in the rain they're talking and then our lady who's as we know is not a pangelian and not a madame (laughs) bovary but her name is lee julian if i'm pronouncing that correctly I, i think you are she's there and she wants to talk to this guy and says that she has a case that just appeared in court and that they got it wrong that they ruled in favor that the divorce was was real and she thinks it's fake. They're immediately put off by this. Right. It's after, it's after dinner. It's yeah. raining. It's late. And here comes this lady. And she's got this ridiculous, absurd bone to pick. Mm-hmm. And just out of the, the goodness of, of this chief justice's heart, he's like, I'm going to listen to your case. 
And and she's like, no, you you you're getting it wrong, and blah blah blah. And and and, and so they end up like she ends up like being pushed down. And I actually wrote a note. I'm like, um, she's making no friends, and her case is stupid. <laughs> <laughs> because I was still in the throes of right. this, like, why is this crazy woman? Why am I watching like the, the the crazy peasant woman and her silly case? Yeah, I was annoyed with her. I'm like, I don't like her as a heroine. Well, what I did like though in that moment was, yeah, that one guy was also super annoyed with her. He's like, no, yeah, <laughs> you go and file an appeal. Yeah, if you think the judge is taking brides bribes go to the police basically you know? right i've told how many times can i say this you know? and so i was like i feel his pain a little bit like i don't no, i know. totally do yeah. i totally do i also wonder like again like i feel like this is like the thread throughout in those scenes because there's several scenes like that like she repeats that like kind of exact action mm-hmm. uh, with a couple different guys and right. i feel like that's where this peasant versus noble class if you will or government yeah. class Mm-hmm. is really apparent, you know. Right. What I thought was interesting was they, they're they not entirely dismissive of her. In fact, no. many of them seem like they do want to help her. Right. But not right. at the expense of their jobs because she is being stubborn and taking it further and further up the ladder. And with each rung comes a different fear of a different group of administrators losing their cushy yeah. jobs. Right. And that, and that was a big disconnect for me because I, I didn't quite understand. Me either. Let's talk about that. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So I didn't understand the politics of that because a peasant woman has a obscure legal issue that is not being redressed. So anywhere else it'd be like, so what? But in, in China and in the world of this movie, it is a huge deal. What do we do? How do we do this? You got to solve this problem. There is some kind of like, you know, nonviolent protest that she does where she just sort of yep. stands out in the middle of the street with a with a sign. But people stand outside in this country with signs all the time that are crazy. And you're just like, oh, OK. And, and you can dismiss them or the cops can move them out of the way of traffic. So traffic can go on because if it's just a one person protest and their protest is is not particularly salient or affecting a lot of people or make much sense then, you know, you kind of get shuffled around. But in the world of this movie, it is of primary importance. And leading up to the point where she actually <laughs> accosts the chairman of the entire country, <laughs> uh, which I, I, I like the reveal of that. Yeah. I would understand it if they were all dismissive of her. And then for whatever reason, she bends the chairman's ear and then everything goes to hell. But leading up to that, there I, I never saw any reason for them to pay much attention to her. I think there's probably some things about the culture that that I'm I'm missing just without uh, that 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 context. But it, it was a real mystery to me as a Westerner watching this movie. A hundred percent. And she is kind of stirring up the hornet's nest, if you will. Yeah, with, sure. With some of these people, and yet there's reference to the actuality of what she's doing is suing her ex-husband, mm-hmm. and to me. That further raised the issue, okay, well, how is this the government's problem then? Right. Because her ex-husband is not someone connected. No, he's not. So that to me, it was like, yeah, I, I need a little Chinese guide to, to walk me into the light here as to what that means exactly. <laughs> yeah. From exactly. A, a standpoint that is threatening to these government officials potentially losing their jobs. Like, how exactly would they lose their jobs? I get it if a woman's going to the press and she's just raising a stink and she gets gains the sympathy of her fellow citizen and mm-hmm. a, there is a great injustice being done. But that doesn't quite appear to be the case. And let's talk then about what happens when she goes to confront her ex-husband. In this process of like going to all these different local administrators, she actually ends up getting locked up in some sort of jail where there's a farm, which was kind of interesting. Oh, yeah, that's right. And we're told through narration that she decides to give up the case. But before she could possibly move on, she has to speak to her, to Chin, her Mm ex-husband. So she goes to see him. He's sitting outside eating what appears to be during a work break. And there's like five other guys around them, I think are co-workers. Confronts him and he kind of lays into her about the fact that she had slept with other men before their wedding night and admitted as much. And right. he's the one that calls her a Pangenlian. Mm-hmm. That's 
clearly not something you you say every day because yeah, one of the based coworkers, on their reactions, oh yeah. man, like one of the coworkers, like, oh no, you don't don't say that, you know, <laughs> right? Yeah, that was that was really interesting. Like, I I can't, I don't know, maybe this just says something about Americans. Like, I can't think of a single thing you could say to somebody, like the worst insults that would like garner that reaction necessarily. I mean, oh, maybe, right. I'm sure there's a few out there, right? Yeah, I, I there there might be a couple, you know, four letter, but that kind of context. It's like, no, I, I, there's no name, I think, from, from literature or history that you could call anybody in this country and be like, oh. Just too you know. bad, you know, we need like a uh, good. Yeah, like Hester Prynne, yeah. you know, like, you know, if people read, they'd be like, oh, my goodness, how yeah. could you call me such a thing? One of my favorite parts of the movie actually follows this. And that is when she then like goes to her, I think it was her brother, and asks him if he will help her kill Chin. Mm-hmm. And... And he's like, oh. I don't know about that, you know. And then she goes to a guy who's just like a friend who I think works in like a butcher shop or something. Yeah, that guy. Yeah. And that scene I thought was really funny. You know, they're basically bargaining. You know, she first just says like, I just need you to hold him down so I can slap him. And right. then she's like, okay, well, actually, I want to kill him. And, you know, he's like, well, if you're going to kill somebody, I mean, we at least like... What's in it for me? Yeah. And she's like, I'll do it with you. Yeah. But then it's like, oh, she's got a list of like five people she wants to kill. And those are like yeah. the government. And then, then the chief justice and those guys. And he's like, well, I don't know. I mean, like, <laughs> I, you know, that's like five people really having sex once. I mean, that's... Right. I know. And they're, they're all surrounded all the time. And yeah. it's just like, she's got this crazy hit list and you're just like... This, this, yeah, it just and further underlines the fact that this woman is out of her mind. And it's also, I did not pick up on the idea that there was something more to the divorce. No. At that stage. But that would be the only thing that could explain like why she would go, well, for us who don't like take a, offense to hearing somebody be called Madame Bovary, right? Right. Exactly. You know, it's like, well, she's going to kill this dude because of this. <laughs> like, that, that's, that's pretty crazy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, she looks crazy. She leaves the country and goes to Beijing. And that's when we get our like frame transition mm-hmm. and there she goes and she sees a guy who works as a chef for a, is that like a government hotel or yeah it seemed like some kind of like 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 for for you know high mucky mucks in in the chinese government i think it was like this this is where they stay when they come to beijing right and there's this guy that she's known for a while who works there whose name is datu d-a-t-o-u played by tao guo and i'm yeah. sure i messed that up uh <laughs> I liked his performance. I thought he was pretty good, right? So we find out that, like, he's known her, they've known each other for 10, 15 years. You know, she's basically there because she's trying to get in front of another higher up. He Mm -hmm. works as a chef. He takes a day off of work, and they go, and they do some sightseeing. I Mm -hmm. loved the miniaturized versions of Manhattan and the White House and the Arc de Triomphe. That was fantastic. Yeah, they're... I don't know. They're probably like nine, ten feet tall. Well, some of yeah. them are taller, but like the White House looked to be about maybe like nine, ten feet tall. Right, and they all look kind of post-apocalyptic because yeah. they all kind of been in disrepair and they're like rusting yeah. in places. So it was like it was a weird tribute to the rest of the world that was, I guess, subject to you know pollution and and disrepair and neglect and that sort of thing. So that was just like a fascinating sequence, I thought. Yeah, I thought that was really neat. And again, it's just like you're, you're seeing a side of China that uh, most of us don't really know about. And it is a exactly. way to connect to the West, I guess, just by having those familiar icons there. Yeah. And then, man, we get a massive scene. Oh, yeah. Of what is just essentially a governmental meeting, a conference. And Okay, yeah. so this may- is the one where the, the chairman comes to this one? or uh, Okay, yeah. so he's a chairman, yeah. I think he's like the like the president. Okay, and yeah. I, mean, I, 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 I think it's like a big deal. Yeah, I, I definitely got the sense that it's a big deal. Yeah. But, they, I mean, it is a long, long <laughs> it's sequence. It's a long scene. That yes. only tangentially has anything to do with, with our main character here, and mm-hmm. not until the very end. I mean, right. there, there's some interesting things to take away from that that relate to China as a whole. You know, you've got this leader talking about corruption and immorality being mm-hmm. the two things that are of grave importance to China and that people tell him are of mm-hmm. grave 
He calls them tumors that could shake yeah. their legitimacy as a nation, basically. Right. He then tells a story that a woman stopped him in his car on the way there, as a matter of fact. And she had this <laughs> terrible case in this small town. How did something so small end up in Beijing? She wants to sue seven people. And mm. I don't know, like, what do you make of all that? Because it, 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 like, it appears again and again. And it's like yeah. you've got these people, these leaders, speaking for the people, right? I mean, they're, they're, yeah. they're trying to anyway. And they seem exactly. like they're, they mean it. They seem genuine. Right. And here's where I'll, I'll drop my theory as to why I think this, all, all this is sort of being depicted in this way. Okay. So China is a dictatorship. Right. And they are in charge of the stories they get told. Like, you know, not that they're writing them, but stories that they don't approve of are not going to get made. Here they have this movie that shows the bureaucracy of China, the, you know, the officials from the lowest man on the totem pole all the way to the chairman have in their hearts a true interest in the, in the most common Chinese person in the country. Mm-hmm. And they will bend over backwards to listen to them. And, and yes, yes, there is some immorality. There's some corruption in that and that they're more concerned for their jobs in, in some in some places. But but the chairman, he gets this obscure, bizarre story from this peasant and he is incensed. Yeah. Like, you know, every bit of foreign policy and domestic policy that he has on his plate doesn't make him nearly as impassioned as Shang Jinlian's bizarre case. And I'm just like, I, I just had to call bullshit on that. There is no way that the chairman would be moved by that. But in a propagandistic movie that is sort of created by a, a dictatorship uh, or a dictator style kind of form of government, that is a message they are more than happy to, to send out. And there are a couple of examples of this. There was the one moment on the bus when she's sick and the policeman is not going to let her back into Beijing. Mm-hmm. And an, an older man next to her really speaks up. And the policeman just he just stops in his tracks and he's like, oh, I have to kind of weigh what this old man thinks. And and I have to have a we have a negotiation. And I'm just like, really? Would the cop listen to just the common man like that? And then at the end, when and we want to talk about what exactly how that all happens. But where where the mayor, who is kind of, I guess, the the second most powerful person that Fan Bingbing uh, talks to, he is talking to his underling and they're having a very thoughtful conversation about, you know, essentially their roles and how seriously they take their roles and how they can do better and blah, blah, blah. And it, it just, it all rang so false to me. It all rang so much of this is a Chinese propaganda message. And I thought that infused the, the whole movie, not to the point where I'm just like, oh, forget it. It's all hogwash. But just to the point where it informed for me, like what the context was for some of the movie's overarching messages, if that makes sense. And you don't think there's any chance that that was meant to be like, okay, folks, like here's the hypocrisy. Because I I kind of got airs of that. I mean, in that massively long scene, it was just like, I don't, yeah, this guy is saying this, but does he really believe it? Or is he just making himself look good? And even like the mayor character in the end, like there's that one shot of him adjusting his hairpiece in the bathroom mirror, which is very subtle. I don't even know if you caught that, but like, I, I don't, yeah, I don't think that I did. Yeah. Totally moves and it, it's supposed to move. And it's like three <laughs> or four times. And uh, I rewatched it. And to me, it was just like, yeah, okay, this guy is, he's sort of your high powered buffoon character. Right. Yeah. I definitely got that from the mayor, yeah. Well, and it's also interesting just in regards to what we talked about with with being being fan having been essentially kidnapped by the government for three weeks for tax evasion. I I don't know. I just, I I just, I got, that was the impression I got. And I definitely got the impression that the chairman was being quite sincere, his character. Okay. That her plight really troubled him. Which is, yeah, it's like, I don't even understand your plight. Like, how, why would that? Yeah, like, how, how can I get so worked up about it if, if literally nobody can understand what, what you're so upset about? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, coming away from it, not thinking about the fact that the Chinese government is, is set up that the way, the way it is, I'm like, you know, that seems, that seems like a good form of government in a way because you've got a group of people and they want to help. And the only reason they couldn't help her was because her case made no sense. 
Mm-hmm. But then, you know, you, you think about the larger picture over there and it's just like, oh, they co-financed the movie and they gave it its approvals and all that sort of thing. Yeah, like, that's true. This, this, yeah. def- this definitely is a more benign picture of Chinese government and would, I think, foster some feelings of like, oh, you know, the government isn't so bad after all. Look, they're really trying, which I think is a message that the, the Chinese government would love to have people be receiving as often as possible from their movies. Well, and I do think that also ties into some, I mean, regardless of how you want to look at it, that that sort of thing that was mentioned by one of the reviewers that we talked about in the tee up where it's like the Chinese people are aware that it's not perfect and yet what can they do about it? You know? And so they have this like darkly sarcastic take on it a little bit. Which right. is maybe where like a thing like a hairpiece comes into play with that particular character. Right. I also think like there is at least criticism here inherent into how a city regulates a smaller town. Like there's yeah. there's for sure a disconnect there. Even though like that one guy is like, No, guys, <laughs> if we bring this rural woman to yeah. the hotel here, she's immediately going to feel nervous. What if we go to her? And there's like, <laughs> right. wow, boss, you've really like that. I've never yeah. even thought of, you know, there's like some right. of that. So I, uh, I don't know. I mean, yeah. it would be good again, like if anybody's like really aware of how this stuff works, like to know sort of like. Oh, yeah, it would be great to hear. Yeah, I totally think you're right. There is legit criticism in this movie of of, of the government. But also maybe the, at the end of the day, it's, it's still that like, well, it's our imperfect system, but it's our system. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Okay. I want to just blast through the, the rest of this movie because oh, I, sure. I do think we can probably cover an hour of screen time <laughs> in like five minutes of plot. So, yeah, so 10 years pass, like, you know, after that sequence in Beijing, we get a cut and it's 10 years later and she's been living back in her hometown and she's been suing her ex-husband and several others every single year. Only this mm-hmm. year she's decided that she's not going to do it, which makes the city officials happy. Although the fact that it makes them happy makes her question, well, maybe she won't do that instead. You know, right. there's talk of getting her to sign something saying that she will agree to just drop this whole mess she doesn't like that idea because then it just makes it look like, well, what was it for this, this whole 10-year experiment? Exactly. We find out that her friend, the chef in Beijing, Datu, has moved to this area. It's not long before he's explaining that he would like her to drop it completely and marry him. They do get engaged. Yeah. They go to celebrate and... Oh God! Well, yeah. I guess we got to talk well, about yeah, it. It's, it's it's kind of yeah, it's kind of unclear. That timeline is kind of unclear. It's like the bureaucracy around her town have decided that she is definitely going to go to Beijing unless they get something in writing or you know they're guarding her to make sure she doesn't go to yeah, Beijing. This is and a big deal. Cost yeah. the chair. Yeah, and so it's like she can't help but feel like, oh, okay, you guys just don't believe me. It's insulting, and so she feels almost compelled to go. So she and Datu, the chef, they go and. I'm watching this and I'm thinking like, okay, they're on their way to Beijing. And I think sometime during that journey, oh, it's, I, yeah, okay, it's the big scene. It's, it's yeah, scene I was like, where, well, we okay. can't quite blow through it because we got to talk about this scene. Yeah, exactly. Okay, yeah. so yes, they're headed to Beijing. They see some police. They're like, let's just pull off the road and let's get a hotel. We'll travel at night. Mm-hmm. They go upstairs. Just so happens that the only room available is a triple room. And they go into the room. The camera stays locked in one position. Everyone exits frame. And Datu is basically trying to force himself on her off frame. I did. Yes. I loved that shot, though. He comes back into frame to take his shirts off. He goes mm-hmm. back over. She's pushing him off. We hear all this unfold. He comes back into frame and starts undoing his pants. Yeah. And he goes over. All I can think is he is going to rape her. Yeah. But then the lights change. There may have been some introduction of music. We track over, and it's twilight. She's sort of sitting up behind him. Their legs are entwined. You know, she's naked. We're just seeing the back of her, which I do wonder how sort of scandalous that is even. Yeah, I wonder too. I wrote down some of the dialogue. She Mm -hmm. says, that was rape, you know. And he says, just tell me if you liked it. She says, (laughs) it's daytime. Don't you have any shame 
Which I think is just in reference to the fact that he's laying on the bed naked right in front of yeah. the window, right? Right, right, right. Her answer to his question, though, is it's never been this good for me ever. He says, would people rather be with someone they loved or with an enemy? She says, that's a silly question. He says, then drop your suit. Abandon your enemies for your loved ones. Mm. I mean, I think in earnest, that is what she decides to do. I don't know, man. Like, I guess, did he rape her or did he not? I don't, I, that's a tough. Yeah, and that's that was that was a conversation I had with Peggy after, you know, during the, right after that scene. Yeah. It's like, you know, this isn't a very Me Too kind of moment here. Definitely not. It's like, oh, you just, if you rape somebody, then if they like it, then it's like you didn't rape them. I'm like, uh, that doesn't, that doesn't quite work out. I, I felt like it was. When she even says it, you know? Yeah, yeah exactly. So, so, so it's a scene that might've worked 40 years ago in this country, but now, or hell, even 10 years ago where it's just, yeah. you, you, you wouldn't have your main character be raped and also be like, you know what? That worked out. Mm-hmm. It was very uncomfortable for me to, to watch that just, just because it was like, I don't know where they're going with this. I don't know if they feel the same way about this that I do. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm thinking of, you know, Bing Bing fan. And, and I'm just like, I felt like I was questioning how much she was protesting. Like I was like some kind of a rape trial jurist or yeah. something like that, you know? And I was like, I didn't like being put in that position. No. Or like, oh, she didn't say no forcefully enough. So, so I, yeah, I was trying to, to figure it out. Was she somehow welcoming this and i just have to say like no she wasn't this was this was a rape and for whatever reason the plot needed it to go well they were fine with it and actually they decide to get married out of that rape and i'm just like okay (laughs) that yeah that's that's it's a problematic scene i mean it is played as if it's like this poetic thing you know and yeah. there's this sweetness that follows it. And that, uh, it's just hard to reconcile. Um, and it maybe is, it's it supposed is. to be. And maybe that is, we're supposed to be asking these questions even in this context. I, I don't know. Yeah, it'd be interesting. To, it'd be interesting to know what, how, how Chinese audiences took it. If it, if it was as, as uncomfortable for them as, as it was for, I think, maybe, you know, modern Western American audiences. Uh, but the, the honeymoon does not last long. Uh, in <laughs> no. fact, they don't even actually get married. They go out and they do some sightseeing and they come back and she overhears him on the phone talking with one of the city officials where it's very clear that part of this relationship has been a plan with the city officials to get her to drop the suit. And in fact, if she gets married, she cannot pursue this divorce case, or she won't. That's the thinking. And she's outraged by the fact that he took part in this, even though he does claim that, you know, he's like, no, my feelings are legitimate. And I I kind of believed him, I guess I should say. Yeah, but but I I guess one thing that Peggy said to me after this was like, you know, okay, well, that, that turned it from maybe rape to definitely rape, right? Because yeah, it, I mean, it, you know, yeah. yeah, because he had an ulterior motive. Yes, he might have had feelings for her, but also he was doing this at the behest of somebody without telling her. Yeah. So that just made it completely evil and criminal to me. Not a good way to win a bride if you do have like. With <laughs> no, at any rate. Yeah, no, certainly. Certainly not. She leaves and flees there. She says something about I'll kill you. You know, we get narration that now, in fact, this poor woman that has been so taken aback and spent her whole life obsessing over the fact that she's been labeled a Pangenlian mm-hmm. has now become one because this man has sullied her. Right. And now the name actually applies in a way and she cannot mm-hmm. live unless she clears her name. She continues to pursue this and is trying to flee the city officials or county seat officials as they're closing in on her. I don't know what the exact plan is to do with her other than maybe lock her up. Right. But they do catch her finally after a short stint in the hospital where once again, hospital bills play a part. Yes, they do. Yeah. She can't afford her bill. And so she tries to seek out a guy who will give her some money. And it is there in that marketplace where she is caught by the county officials who then give her the news that guess what your ex-husband chin is dead you can no longer sue him anymore so this whole thing is theoretically over right and that's that's like the that's the end of that plot isn't it i mean it really is and she is kind of devastated by this news and not necessarily because of the death of her husband we find out it's because that's been her entire life Uh, for the past 10 years 
it was her reason for living was getting justice with this guy who sullied her name and who wronged her and fell in love with someone else when that was not supposed to happen. Right. My maybe second, if not tied for first favorite part of the movie is that we find out what she's doing now is looking for a place to hang herself. And <laughs> she finds uh, yeah. a tree in a field and throws a rope over it. And a man comes running out of nowhere and grabs her uh, legs. He's like, don't do it here. And you'll find out like it's his orchard and he doesn't want her to kill herself there because it would be terrible for, for business and people come yeah. and pick apples. And she says, well, where should I go? And he's, he, he points out the, the, the field of one of his competitors, which <laughs> right. is great. It felt it was very Coen Brothers. It was absolutely like that. Man, man if the yeah. whole movie had been like that, it was just like, what a gym <laughs> this thing would have been. Really interesting. Yeah, no kidding. And then we, we get another advancement of time, and that's when we get our widescreen ratio. She's in Beijing. She's opened a restaurant. A customer comes in, and he recognizes her, and he's like, oh, I was the guy that you ran into way back when. And I actually... It was, the, it was the coward guy in the car, wasn't it? Yeah. The, the guy who said that he wasn't who he was and he would go get him. Like, I thought that guy was hilarious. Oh, man. Coward, yeah. Cowardly. But he, yeah. he lost his job, you know, and so he's like eked out a living as a carpenter. He asked her... It, it's very congenial, the conversation, but he asked her oh, if, yeah. if it was worth it. She then gives the bombshell information that I think... We, yeah, we can debate whether we would have liked that from, from the beginning or not, but... Yeah. That this whole thing was not about an apartment, an apartment. That's not why they faked their divorce. They faked their divorce because they wanted to have another child. And at the time that was forbidden. So the thought was she would get pregnant. They would get divorced. She would have a child. He would have custody of their previous child. She would have custody of the other the baby, and then they would get remarried, and maybe that's a loophole for having more than one child. Right. Only he fell in love with someone else while they were separated. She was so angry, she had a miscarriage, and all this has been for her unborn child. That's a really heavy thing to lay on any movie, especially one in the last bit of the story here. And especially one where, yeah, that, that does, it, it changes your, your look on her entirely, I think, doesn't oh, it? Oh, completely, completely. Yeah, and, and it, it would have made all the hard work I was doing trying to garner some sympathy for, for her plight, it would have made that so much easier. I don't know exactly how you make the movie work in the same way if you have that information right off the bat. I guess trying to flout China's one-child policy, which has, has since gone by the wayside, It'd be interesting to know if that would have made her into a criminal. Like if she had, had said it was fake because of the, you know, we were trying to get around the one child policy. Right. If the, if the government would have come down harder on her than if it was something for, you know, getting a, an apartment. So I, I wonder why, why that was withheld. But I, I can easily see how it, it would just become a different kind of movie, you know, more emotional, more interesting if you kind of just lay that information out there, like it felt like a, like a bombshell from uh, a different movie in a way. Yeah. I think it would have helped to this extent that if they had done it in a way where the audience knew that she had had a miscarriage and that this was the whole reason for it, but none Mm -hmm. of the city officials did. And so that's a good point. You get her fighting this fight and, and living out this lie and we know it. And let's just like, at what point, does she stop telling a story or just reveal like what the ultimate pain is? Exactly. It could have added another layer of connection with that character where you still could kind of keep the plot similar and in some ways made those officials look even more villainous, I guess. Um, oh, yeah, that's that's a good point. Because, you know, when you're sort of restricting parents from having children, which is one of those kind of basic human yeah. things, yeah, it would it would paint the people saying, no, you can't, into a, a, a much more villainous corner. And I, I, I wonder if that would have been kind of frowned on by the Chinese government if, if, if they had, had gone that route. I mean, in the end, uh, yeah, because it's 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 sort of just like here's that information, but you you don't necessarily apply how that would have been administered using your imagination right away. But if they had depicted that instead, that that would have 
I don't know. I, I would think the government would be like, oh, no, you're, you're making us look too bad. Exactly. No, you got to leave the theater and think to yourself, oh, OK, this is a victim of that system. You know, this woman, yeah. you know, really the injustice here is the one child system that was forced right. upon them. You know, ultimately, you have to kind of do that legwork when you leave versus in right. the moment. So, again, these could just be cultural differences entirely as far as like story, yeah, storytelling things. But right. uh, it's interesting, and it, it, it's it's interesting to do it the way they did it. But also, yeah, it does add it adds some knowledge to the character that you then sort of have to apply in hindsight, uh, as far as your your takeaway from the whole movie. I do want to say mm-hmm. there's a bit of narration at the end that I thought was really nice. Just the last kind of final words, I thought that was nice. I won't even repeat it, just so people can enjoy it on the moment. And I liked that we did get some score there in the closing credits mm. by Way yeah. Do or Do Way, which I thought I thought was really good, actually. Oh, yeah. You're right, though. There's not a ton of it in the film, if memory serves. No. But yeah, I don't know. So that, I mean, that is the experience of this movie. Anything stand out that, that you specifically liked that we didn't mention? I want to call out one shot that I really liked was mm-hmm. of a guy getting a haircut and he was like his barber chair was like probably a foot away from the outdoors and it was raining and just there was just something oh, yeah. in, in that in that circular circular shot of of how close and this i guess has happened in a lot of shots of how close everyone was to being in the elements like they were they were sheltered but there was this real indoor outdoor kind of feel to a lot of yeah. the living quarters that i just thought was fascinating and particularly in that one shot i thought that really kind of highlighted it yeah and one of, one of the last thing I'd say is that I, I kind of wished, I was a little confused by the, the child thing. It's like, so there is an existing child that the ex-husband had custody of. Where is that child? Yeah, yeah where is that child? And I, I would have liked to have seen that child. So I knew that, that the miscarriage had been the second child. I, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think it's safe to make that assumption. Yeah. But, uh, but I think that might have turned the screws a little more if even looking back, we could remember or see that child and, and have her reaction to it. Maybe at the time, not knowing what that relationship was. But then in retrospect, we look back and be like, oh my gosh, that poor woman, she did lose completely everything, justifying her her righteous anger throughout. Yeah, I thought that that, that might've been good instead of just, again, a little more exposition at the end of, of the film. And on the flip side of that, I thought it would have been nice to actually see Chin's new wife, who he makes oh, a yeah. very valid point that in some ways she's suffered as much as anybody throughout this whole thing because every single year she has to worry about a new lawsuit lawsuit that might annul their marriage, you know? Right, and, and getting pointed at and everything. Yeah. Says, yeah. Or he says, yeah. So I don't know. I, I think there's some cool stuff in here. There's a lot of little details that I, I think one could watch and, as we talked about, kind of pick up on the, the life in China, even just within the translation. Yeah, there were some, also some funny phrases in here. I remember yeah. I wrote down, without, without skin, what keeps the fur on? Oh. And I'm still trying to figure that out. But it's just like, you know, it's like the old saying. And, and here comes another sort of Chinese colloquialism. Yeah. I thought that was kind of fun, you know. There was also a reference in one of the dialogue that something about the Lady White Snake, which I don't know if that's like a religious figure or something that we're just not familiar with. Oh, yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. it just made me think of White Snake, the band from the 80s. Which <laughs> would be hilarious. Yeah. And the girl band version, Lady White Snake. It's, it's very good. Though. Yeah. <laughs> but that's about it. I, I, I don't know. It's an interesting experience watching this movie. It is certainly i would not recommend this to a casual viewer i am kind of curious what did your wife think she was the one exhorting me to continue to just power through let's get it done tonight let's let's just finish watching this (laughs) homework yeah (laughs) i don't know i I didn't i didn't get a good sense of of her thoughts on it she's very closed mouth about these things i'll find out okay peggy when you listen chime in on facebook i want to know yes please do but but yeah i feel educated yeah really uh, having having watched this movie i feel like I know more than certain people in our federal government about China now, having watched that movie, than they do. I feel like it was that educational. Like presidential people in our government? Uh, potentially, yeah. I think you may not be far off from there. China. Um, so. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it is It is insightful. I, I'm really kind of curious to see something else from this director specifically because he does appear to have a comedic background, and this is very much... Yeah. Uh, the comedy is is pretty dry in this thing and dark and uh, that's mm-hmm. another I just you know selfishly would love this just to be a dark comedy throughout and it's not quite there for my sort of sensibilities no. and I don't think it's supposed to be 
but uh, I'd like to see his other work that is. And uh, yeah, I, I thought Bing Bing fan, fan Bing Bing, whichever way you say it, she was great. And I uh, look forward yeah. to, to seeing something else from her. Yeah. Well, she's in um, Iron Man 3. I might go back and, ah, yeah. and check and see her in that and, and X-Men Days of Future Past. And she'll be in the upcoming 355 with Jessica Chastain. I know we mentioned that in the, in the team. Yeah. So I have a new appreciation for her. Really just want to see the Bruce Willis, Adrian Brody <laughs> oh, yeah. movie, right? Yes, absolutely. Oh, well, well, thank you for watching this with me, Brian. I know it's you know, an experiment sometimes when you when you check out some movies uh, made from other territories. I love it. It was a great experience watching this movie. Awesome. Well, if uh, yeah. you're listening out there and you've seen it, let us know what you thought. I Am Not Madame Bovary is streaming on Netflix right now. Go check it out. Brian, any last words for the evening? I got nothing other than thank you very much for, for letting me do these four. I look forward to hanging out with, with you guys uh, in, in the future and, um, and doing some more of these. Maybe. Well, I'm going to call bullshit on that because we forgot to do one thing. Do you have a tagline for this movie? Let's see. Objection. Objection. <laughs> love. I, I know. I don't know. <laughs> Come on. It's so obvious, dude. It's uh, No, what is it? What is I'm it? I'm not Madame Bovary. A miscarriage of justice. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Wow. That's, that's, that's why, yeah, that's why you, that's, that's nice. Good job. On that note. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye guys.